Hey guys, we have some fun news. We are going on tour on the East Coast, a little mini tour, because apparently we just like only do live shows when Claire is about to give birth and cannot get on a plane. We like a deadline. What can I say? We're like, oh my God, we have to go on tour before Honestly, the baby on brand comes for out. us. So we're getting our shit together just in time before I literally am not allowed to travel out of the New York area at all. So on June 6th, we'll be at Underground Arts in Philadelphia. On June 16th, we'll be at City Winery in Boston. And on June 22nd, we'll be at City Winery in New York. And we'll be recapping an iconic vintage episode of The Bachelorette. And we are going to be doing this with some very special guests. Kelsey McKinney, host of Normal Gossip, will be with us in Philly. Bachelor in Paradise alum Jill Chin will be with us in Boston. And comedian slash bachelor recapper Arden Marine will be with us in New York City. You can find ticket links and more information at lovetoseeitpod.com. Please come check it out. We would so love to meet some of you there. And we don't get to do this very often because, again, I I can only have a baby like once every few years or so. <laughs> so please come hang out. We're going to have a lot of fun. There will be games. There will be jokes. It's going to be great. Also, before we get into today's episode, just wanted to offer a trigger warning. This episode will contain candid conversations about pregnancy and parenthood as well as non-parenthood. If these topics are painful for you or bring things up for you that do not serve you, then this may be a good episode to skip. And we, as always, want you to take care of your mental health first and foremost. Absolutely. And we also wanted to say that this episode ended up being more of a personal check-in. We both have a lot of personal feelings about this. And honestly, it ended up being a pretty vulnerable conversation about our feelings about this decision. And it doesn't represent the totality of our feelings or our thoughts about this. We are definitely planning to get together some future episodes that will dig into some of the bigger picture questions about the topic of deciding to have or not have kids. Um, which we didn't have time to get into in this episode, but which are really important, like finances and climate change and all those big picture questions. And we also want to talk about many of the amazing topics that some of you all sent in recently. So we definitely plan to to do more and to bring on some guests in the future who can speak to lived experiences around this topic that we do not have. And now, on to the show. I'm Claire. And I'm Emma. Welcome to Rich Text, a podcast about our cultural obsessions, like motherhood, babies, maybe, maybe. (laughs) If you're listening today, you're already a paid subscriber to our audio and written newsletter, Rich Text. Thank you, as always, for being here. You quite literally make our work possible. We're here today because, I don't know, it had just been a couple years or at least a year since we had really sat down and talked about motherhood and having kids and it was something that- Not having kids. Not having kids (laughs) and- We just wanted to have a check-in about it and really just have a conversation with each other about it. It's something that is a very personal issue for both of us at this point in our lives. And it had been a while since we'd really talked it out. And so we thought, why not just sit down and really open up a vein, like get personal, get raw, talk about this issue again. So it's not going to be our most deeply researched episode. We really just kind of wanted to talk about our own feelings and experiences about this topic primarily. And so we wanted to start with a little content warning, disclaimer. Obviously, today we will be discussing pregnancy. We will be discussing having children. We'll be discussing our own personal experiences with deciding whether to grow our families and go through these experiences and We know these are really difficult topics for a lot of people. If you're struggling with infertility, if you've suffered miscarriage, if you've lost children, we know that the question of like choosing to have children can be particularly painful. And so if this is the case for you, this 
is probably a good episode to skip. And if it feels like it will be a sensitive topic for you, you're more than welcome to skip. Or if not, please like take care of yourself while listening. It's not going to be an episode for everyone. And we totally understand that. Absolutely. Please take care of yourself. That is the absolute most important thing. And we will definitely just catch you on the next episode. Don't worry. We will be back with so much juicy television. Yeah, there's been a lot of TV, but for once we're not <laughs> we're not talking about TV. I I guess we should just dive in. It feels weird to start without trying to explain what a television show is. <laughs> I know. So, I guess we should just start since we're taking a personal angle on this. We should just start by talking about where each of us is on is this that? question right now. I know like the last time that we really talked about this, it was from a perspective of someone with a kid talking to someone who doesn't have kids and the different lifestyles that that entails. But in a sense, yeah. some things have not changed. <laughs> and in a in sense, the- some things have not changed. <laughs> but I feel like I want to know like, where you're at with the question of having kids. And I also, my circumstances have evolved a little bit. So where are we at right now? Yeah, I am not in that different of a place than I was when you checked in. (laughs) Other than the fact that, you know, more people in my life who I'm deeply close to have had their first kid or are having their second kid, like just more people around me have had babies. And I have spent a lot of time thinking about whether that's an experience I want to have and have found myself sort of in the same emotional place that I was before, just like deeply conflicted, but with the added feeling of like, I'm turning 36 in a couple months. And that biological window is not going to exist forever. Not to say that like, you know, I need to get pregnant in the next six months or else I'm (laughs) fucked. Like, absolutely not. And I think for me, if I was to have a child, my late 30s would seem like, frankly, the best, the best time to to do that for me and my life. I just on a personal level, don't think I want to wait that long if I'm going to do it because just, yeah, I'm tired. And yeah, I think I'm going to get more <laughs> tired as I get older. Mm-hmm. So there is this like window for, for me and just for what I want from my life that feels like it is kind of looming. And that is stressful because I don't feel super close to an answer. And yeah, I'm starting to explore that question in therapy yeah. and try to try to figure it out. And yeah, so that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, it must be unsettling. I feel like I skipped that whole stage because when I had Max, like none of my friends had babies. I felt like right. I was, you were like the first. You felt, I felt you like felt I like was you were early. The first. I was 31. I was like, oh my God, like I'm the first person to have well, a that baby. That is the funny <laughs> thing about New York City and just yeah. like our, our, our like kind of social milieu. It like that is on the early end. Yeah. I think most of the people that I'm close to in the New York City area like I have a lot of friends who are having who just had their first kid who are a few years older than me. Yeah, that's really common and I we had like one coworker and friend who had a baby before I did yes. who was around our age and so I really felt like you know, I was ahead of the game and it's it must be very different to be experiencing it from the the side of oh, is this phase of life, something that everyone else is embarking on and and I can't decide whether to get on the boat or not. Cause then it's like, well, when should I get on the boat before I've kind of missed all of my friends going through this stage? Like, is that something that worries you? Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. My mom was in town a few weeks ago, like a month ago, and we were having a conversation about this. And she's never pressured me at all. Like bless her about marriage, about kids, about any of it. It's I feel so incredibly lucky to not have to field pressure <laughs> on the family side. But it was interesting. Like she articulated that the one thing that concerned her for me if I didn't have kids was like, would I be alone in that experience? 
Mm-hmm. And I thought that I thought that was so, frankly, like a a very compassionate concern, and and something that that I've definitely thought about a lot. Like for me, so much of my adult life is built around friendship, about around community. I'm a very social person. I'm an extrovert. I like to be sort of in the mix of experiences with the people, with my peers. And what's interesting is that I do now sort of have a bunch of friends who are having kids or going through fertility treatments or like very much focused on that phase of life. And then I do have a handful of friends who are single or have a partner and like, no, they don't want to have kids or are in this, the same phase as me where they're sort of like, I don't, I don't know. And it's still a question mark. And maybe I'm just going to let that window kind of pass me by and feel good about it. And so I, I feel like I won't be alone. Yeah. No matter what I choose. And the bigger the bigger fear that I'm coming up against is like my f- confusion about what those two paths will mean and not wanting to make the choice because it feels like embarking on these two divergent identities almost even though that's reductive and untrue. It's just like the cultural pressure. It feels like okay, so you'll either choose to be this kind of person or that one. Yeah. And that's reductive and, again, untrue, but, like, that's where – that's sort of where some of the anxiety lies. And then, of course, all the, like, normal fears about having a kid, about, you know, the state of our world Mm -hmm. and a lot of anxiety about, you know, bringing a a human into that chaos and just, like, adding those anxieties, like having a person that's outside of your body that you've – feel an anxiety about the way you would feel an anxiety about yourself or your partner and not being able to control the things they experience in the world or just like screwing up a kid like all those you know I think anxieties probably that everyone has so yeah I don't know it's it's like this it continues to be this open question for me and I'm trying to reframe it to like not the negatives about both of these paths but that the positives about both of them yeah it's hard because There are negatives and there is that fear that like, oh, I won't, I won't think about those aspects and then I'll be full of regret. And that definitely happens. Like you could have kids and and one day be like, oh, I wish that I had weighed more heavily, like how much it restricts the life I wanted to lead. But, But it's also hard to really know what the positives would look like before you go through it. Like I think for a lot of- Yeah, like for for parents, you don't really understand, you can't really understand what it feels like to have those positive experiences of parenthood until you have a kid. But also like people who chose that, like child-free people, are statistically the happiest people. So you haven't yet experienced a full adulthood that was completely defined by like your professional goals and and your chosen recreational activities, you can't experience those paths in advance. And so you right. just have to... You, you just, just have, have to leap to, one yeah. one way or the other and trust that there will be joys. And I think, yeah, I think, you know, in, in our past motherhood episodes, we, we touched on this, but just the way that our culture fetishizes motherhood and also just doesn't really support it mm-hmm. on, on like a... Like a practical level you know policy wise and and so it's like oh gosh this this is scary like i can see yeah maybe it's easier to see the negatives at the same time like i spend a lot of time with my friends who still like live in the city who have kids and i love their children and i love being around them and i also am interested in the idea of like on the one hand, it makes me feel more comfortable with the idea of maybe like having that experience. Like, oh, I could still have a lot of the things that I want, like living in a city and like embark on the path of parenthood. On the other hand, it also makes me see the joys in like being a really present adult who doesn't have children in the in the life of other children, of like other people's kids. And so I think that's also a really cool role to play yeah it's not all or nothing like there are lots of ways to be part of a community with children and yeah it's it's a really hard decision and it's interesting for me to see people 
grappling with it the way that you are because i think for a lot of people it's very instinctual like yes because like think, that is oh. how the human race is propagated like a lot of people just have this this urge, urge that's like a lizard brain urge it's like i just want to do it and i'm jealous of that that's the thing like i'm actually jealous or I- i'm jealous of people who have certainty either way like i'm also jealous of child free people who are just like instinctual instinctively repelled by the idea and are just like I know that's not for me and like I know that's not what I want and I feel like to like don't you dare tell me that's what I want like I I am jealous of the certainty either way because that seems like a relief and instead I feel like I keep waiting for the certainty to kick in and then it's like well maybe it's just not (laughs) maybe I'm just going to be one of those ambivalent people and I know I'm not alone in that in that confusion but it is like inconvenient (laughs) yeah no it's that's the hardest thing is to be undecided and i know that i would handle it poorly because whenever i have a big life decision that i'm not completely sure about one way or the other i completely go to pieces because it's like this is going to define so much of my life and i i don't know which thing i want so once i choose one i'll always be able to look back and be like i should have made the other choice well exactly (laughs) and it's very comforting when i'm up at 4am getting puked on to be like i always wanted this like i was sure but once you introduce that element of ambivalence then you're like how will i ever have that certainty that i can be comfortable with the choice i made and i would just like lose my mind like this is what happens when i have a professional crossroads or well that's the thing anything. <laughs> so. and the way i've always handled the confusion about professional stuff is just like well i won't really make a decision until it's forced on me like i won't leave huff post until they lay me off <laughs> yeah. and then i'll make the other decision when right, someone to go pays you to have a baby and exactly. is like this is what's happening when the government yeah. comes in and is like you have to have a child here's your stipend you'll do it yeah or maybe it's just <laughs> it is that time crunch that i need it's like it's like a operating deadline. on a deadline like we were talking about with our shows there is something about the deadline looming that's like okay and then you either yeah. pass it and you're like well this is it and that's like yeah. good or you like under the wire make the other decision and you're like well i made it so i guess that's good (laughs) i think it's just gonna have to be that yeah yeah no i set myself a deadline because otherwise i was like i'll keep being like six more months six more months and then it will never happen and the deadline definitely helped even though it was fictional i'm also like in this place now in a weird way because i'm having a second child and that was yeah. something we were always sure about. Like, we were, like, yeah, going to knew. have two kids. That was always sure. I remember. Yeah, yeah, that was a certainty from, like, before you had Max. Yeah. I don't know why. I think just that we both wanted at least two kids. And we just felt like that was the right amount. We're both from families with multiple children. Greg has one brother. I have two brothers. And... I actually also have two stepbrothers, so I'm used to medium to large-sized families. And boys. And boys. Oh, my God. So many boys. It's a lot. And I – so I knew we wanted to. And I also, like, I I loved the idea of getting to do the baby stage twice and have that experience more than once. And – so the first time that I got pregnant, I was like, it was like the beginning of a beautiful story. I was like, this isn't the last time any of this is going to happen. It's oh, just so interesting experiencing it all for the first time. And some parts of it weren't that great, but a lot of parts of it were really beautiful. And I loved the thought of like, well, maybe the next time I do this, this part will be easier. Maybe I'll get to have a different experience with breastfeeding, which was incredibly difficult for me. Maybe I'll just get to experience the most wonderful parts of this again. And now that it's the second one, we're suddenly at this point where it's like, well, is this the last one? And that feels really different. Like, it feels really, I entered, like, a deep depression, <laughs> like, so partway through this pregnancy. Yeah. Why Why do you think the idea of it being the last time is so scary? I think because it puts a lot of pressure on this time around. Like, I want it to go perfectly in mm. a way. Like, I want to have all the experiences with new motherhood that I ever wanted, which sounds, like, very... <laughs> self-indulgent but you know the first time with max was really hard 
because he struggled with sleep, because he struggled with nursing, and so did I, and I didn't know what I was doing, and neither did he. And now I'm like, if I don't get it figured out this time, then I will have only had these like miserable, harried new motherhood experiences. Like then we went right into the pandemic with Max and I never I was got to say, have like the nice maternity leave experiences where I like take him to brunch or museums. And so I kind of just want this to be this like perfect, beautiful experience. And that's first of all absurd. Like it's never <laughs> how it goes. But also it's it's just puts a lot of weight on it. Yeah. And I love I do love babies, even though, like, I was so stressed and miserable when Max was a baby, that there is something about the thought of having the all the last first that I find very emotional. Yeah, that's fair. I get and, that. Yeah, so I found myself in this deep, like, anxiety spiral and constantly rehashing it with Greg of, like, are we going to do this again? Because I had always sense that I might feel this way. I always hedged. I was always like, maybe we'll have three. I'm one of three originally. I know a lot of third siblings who are just the best people, like my younger brother or some of my close friends. And I was like, what's wrong with a third sibling? Like, they're so chill. (laughs) They really round out the family. And Greg was like, okay, well, two seems like a good number to me. And I'd be like, maybe we'll do three. But now we're like, actually at that point where I can see three or not three straight ahead i'm like that decision is up next it's the next decision and i can't handle it i'm i like lost it for a while and could not stop thinking about it for like days at a time well it's also like both something you kind of have to think about now because as we discussed previously like we are in our mid to late 30s so like there is a you know a time limit and and also something that it's like, why are you thinking about that right now? Right. Because you're still – you haven't even had your second kid. You don't know what that experience is going to feel like. You don't know the overwhelm it's going to feel from going from one to two or whether you're going to – what you're going to want from your life once you actually experience having the second kid. Like you don't know how full or complete your family will feel to you. Right. There's just no way to know. There's no way to know. And I know that. And so I would be like 15 weeks pregnant, like spiraling out and crying about this. And Greg and my therapist would be like, well, that's really far in the future. Like maybe just have the second child and (laughs) see how that goes. And maybe in a couple of years you can think about this. And But I I have this feeling that's like I want to know going into this. I wanted to know going into this whether it was the last time. And you and I are so similar. It's stressing me out. It's funny because we we are so different in so many ways, but we are similar in the sense that like we want to be able to plan. Like we want to like, and and I don't even mean like, I I mean like plan mentally. Like we want to know what headspace we should be in going into (laughs) an experience because I I feel that way about like like I don't need to be pregnant or not pregnant in this moment, but I need to know like where I'm headed. Yeah. So because that will help me mentally now. And that's yeah. what I keep articulating to to Adam, to our therapist. Like <laughs> I just I need to like have it, the idea of where we're headed in my brain because that will help me in this moment. And it's it's funny because I feel like you're doing the same thing just like about the two versus three kids. Yeah. It's hard <laughs> to go through these years that you can that you just know are so critical to this part of your life and to like not know whether you should be feeling one way or the other way like right. should should I be like soaking up all the laughs or should I be like well I'm gonna cruise right on through this one and then the next one will be the last one and of course there's never any guarantee either way like secondary infertility is a very real thing and just because you've gotten pregnant and had a kid before doesn't mean it will even happen the next time you want to. And also you can decide not to. And I know plenty of third siblings who were not planned because the parents were like, two is good. And then once they got pregnant again, they were like, well, maybe we should just go ahead and do this. So like, it's not completely a question of planning. No. But it's hard. It feels feels nice to have the illusion that you could plan everything exactly the way you want. I mean, yeah, we haven't even gotten, obviously... I I mentioned earlier, like, I have so many friends who have had to go through 
IVF or have had, even with a lot of interventions, a lot of struggles, people who really want, know they have always known they want children and have been unable to grow their families in the way they wanted to. Like, I don't even know if maybe I would make a decision and then it wouldn't happen. Like there's, you know, there, there's so many, there's so many things that you can't plan for. And, and once you have a kid, there are so many things you cannot guarantee about who they will be and how their lives will go. And so it's like, I think there is just a desire to make really conscious choices about all the things that we feel we do have control over because there's so many things about life that you just that are not guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, it's it feels comforting to have like a plan for yourself even if right. that plan is not something you can completely control. I mean, this time around one thing I was determined to plan for was a spring due date, which is like ludicrous. Like how can you <laughs> make that happen bodies are not that reliable and you got close yeah but it, like it didn't happen on the schedule that i really wanted because i was like april and it didn't work out and it feels really silly to have ever thought that i could control that but i had decided that i could do it if i really set my mind to it and it's just not how science works i gotta say not Um, how life works in general (laughs) right yeah exactly yeah you like to feel like you can control these things and all the things that were really difficult with the first baby like being basically confined to our apartment for the first few months because it was so cold and then for the next few months, when it got nice because of COVID, COVID quarantine, I was like, I want to make sure I can go outside when the baby arrives. And I do think just in that way, like, it will be so different. I am time. really excited for that and happy that, that it's going to be a summer, a summer due date, at least. I'm but- just saying July babies <laughs> are great they're great babies i know that from personal experience as a july baby yeah you 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 could end up having like the same birthday i'm really pulling for it yeah i know a lot of great people born like around that last week in july first week of august so yeah greg greg and i have close birthdays very close we're excited about that but there is like there's less control than than would be nice for such a, a major a major part of your life and yeah, that's one of kind the of fucking wild yeah when you think about it you're like yeah. you make all these decisions and then god laughs you know life is what happens when you're making other plans <sighs> another thing that has been like kind of um, like tricky emotionally about this pregnancy is that we are having another boy and so the, I was the, wondering if you wanted to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm it's it's been complicated. I, you know, I haven't been in a mother-daughter relationship since my mom died, so I think there was a part of me that wanted to have that again. I also like am obsessed with my son and he's perfect. So he really is. He's so cute. Yeah, and I'm like I know that his younger brother is going to be also perfect and I'm really excited for that. But I think a lot of people who, you know, only have children of one, like assigned sex at birth, go through this period of letting go of the idea of having a baby who's a boy or a girl. For a lot of women I know who have two boys, they were like, yeah, I went through that little period where I was like, okay, I'll never probably, I'll probably never have a daughter. And then you sort of release that. A lot of people I'm close with who either had babies very recently or about to have have babies in the next few months, they're all boys. And it's in the water. Every baby I know is a boy. Almost all of them, almost all of these friends went through a mourning period of that, even with the understanding that like, who the fuck knows what gender will mean to my child? Who knows what this what this future child will like or want to do or how they will connect with me or what their personality is like but but yet we we still live in a world that is so organized along gender lines even as there has been like so much movement to to change that and it is hard to let go of of that feeling that like there's some sort of 
familiar dynamic that you're not going to get to experience. And like, it's so interesting because I haven't, because I don't even know if I want to have a kid, but then like seeing my friends go through this, I am like, oh my God, what if I decide I want to have a kid and then I just have one boy? <laughs> like, that's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it would be your boy. Yeah. And obviously yeah. it would be fine. And obviously I would go through a process and then it would be great. And obviously yeah. I would have no idea. Like, th- this isn't even a real human, right? You know, like, yeah. this is an idea. This is an idea. But yeah. that, But I think so much of making big life decisions is grappling with ideas of what our lives could look like and then attaching ourselves to those ideas to get us through the decision or let go of those ideas to get us through the decision and like it's just it's so complicated you can know on a on an intellectual level like none of this means all that much yeah none of this indicates who this future potential future human will be and yet we're still attached to it. It's captivating and it, yeah. it has meaning to us. And so it's it's just very complicated. And I think, you know, assigned sex at birth does not mean everything. It doesn't mean that both of my children will be boys. Like, it, it just doesn't. You have no idea. I have no idea. But I do think that, like, the gender that people discover themselves to be can be very meaningful to a lot of parts of themselves. And that's one reason that a lot of us do feel so strongly that we're one or the other. And not everyone does. Of course, some people are non-binary or or gender fluid or don't feel that attachment, but it's very meaningful to a lot of people. And so as someone who like does feel very much like a woman, like a girl, and having grown up around a lot of masculine energy, there is a part of me that that wanted to like have a like more of a of a different, a different atmosphere, energy. a different energy in my house. And the reality totally. is like, we just don't even know what that will look like. And I'm a big part of deciding what the atmosphere and the energy of my own home is. But Absolutely. there is this very like old fashioned, like, oh, well, like when you have a little girl, that's like mommy's child and she's her mini me and you can, mommy can dress her up like her and do mommy daughter stuff together. And the boys are for daddy to play baseball with. And So in a way, it is like a gift to be like confronted with like really unpacking that and being like, we're not going to divide it into like daddy's sons and mommy's daughters. We're going to share all of ourselves with each of our kids. But people, it's more complicated for other people. And that's been tough, too, that like, I think we've come a long way with daughters saying like, well, just because you have a daughter doesn't mean you can't like teach her about football or like take her to baseball games or teach her how to fix a car. Or put her in pants. Like, she can like dinosaurs. Max likes wearing dresses. He likes to match mommy. And it's It's like, people are weird about it. Like, people are weird about it. (laughs) That does not surprise me. Because we also live in a moment of very intense gender anxiety. You know, we are living in a country that is experiencing an absolutely bananas, dangerous, horrifying backlash against trans rights against any any challenging of the the gender binary and people are freaking the fuck out and i would imagine also as a parent you look at your child and you're like i want i want them to be safe yeah and in so many ways being a trans or non-binary child or needing gender affirming care is is not safe in so many locations in this country and that is just also terrifying. So it doesn't surprise me that like that atmosphere would accompany would like trickle out in in ways like even into really liberal areas where people just get a little fucking weird if your son wants to wear a dress. And here's the thing. What little kid doesn't want to try on clothes? Like I don't yeah. I don't know. My little brother used to like dress up in my glittery yeah dance costumes they're because, fun like, the skirts they're twirl. fun yeah yeah tutus that's just a fun item of clothing it doesn't have any meaning to yeah. a child to a young child other than this material's fun that's sparkly yeah and exactly. we as adults imbue so much meaning onto those things and we deny like how sad to deny our little boy children the opportunity to experiment and wear fun things like how 
how absolutely devastating and awful. Yeah. When like, I know that seems like a small thing, but it's yeah. like, I don't know. Of course, this is just how it has been since time immemorial. But, like, for a girl to sort of – it would be seen as almost, like, aspiring to, to be into masculine interests and to dress like a man to sort of put on the – the persona, the attire, the the signifiers, the interests of the more dominant group, and that's respectable. And for a boy to want to adopt the clothes and interests of the less dominant group is seen as sort of shameful. And so I think there has been more comfort with saying, oh, it's great if our daughters want to do sports and STEM and we can champion that, but the reverse feels uncomfortable for a lot of the same people. But yeah. all clothing is really gendered right now. Like if you go into like a children's clothing store, the girls section is like frilly pink spaghetti straps. And the boys section is like olive camo cargo pants. And so <laughs> then you'll hear like girl, the parents of girls being like, Nothing that I can get for my daughter to wear is practical. And for the boys' parents, it's like nothing I can get for my child to wear is fun. <laughs> and I'm it's so like kids need both of those things. And Also, like, why do we live in a world where we are like little boy babies must wear like <laughs> camo and orange together? I know. It's, it's so offensive. much ca- it's, it's it like is aesthetically core. It is aesthetically offensive. It is. They're like, yeah. this little six-month baby – is going to kill some animals. <laughs> yeah, as soon as man. possible. <laughs> exactly. And then all the stuff for girls has like little frills and she's like daddy's little little special girly. It's <sighs> it's very weird. We're at a very weird time with gendering children we stuff. Really are. I actually this this fits into something else that I think we both want to talk about which is like the branding of of parenthood. Mhm. You've said a few things that I think speak to that, like this idea of a daughter as a mother's mini-me and dressing, you know, dressing your child like you and like the way that the clothes signify things about who your child is going to be. And I feel like the backlash we're experiencing, I wonder how much of our awareness of that is heightened by the fact that we have this massive industry of mom and parenting influencers and TikTok content about parenting and and not just in the conservative sense. Like there is obviously this this entire like parenting or being child free or any of these things are just like huge topics. Of course there's gonna be content about it. And then at the same time there is this massive marketing and and sales potential (laughs) around parenting. And so We see so many influencers whose job it is to brand the act of being a parent and being a being a woman parent specifically, being a mom. Yeah, especially yeah, especially being a mom. Yeah, I feel like parenthood has sort of become wrapped up in this in multiple ways. Like there's the consumerist element, which is like all the stuff you have to buy for your kids that that demonstrates that you're providing for them through like basically conspicuous consumption, (laughs) like all the trendy baby clothes and, and equipment and the, the really nice minimalist high chair instead of the like Graco one. (laughs) You gotta have a beige baby. Yeah. And the thing is that I'm really seduced by that stuff because Oh, me too. (laughs) I want to live an aesthetic life and I don't want my house to be full of like giant cheap, you know, plastic stuff, you know? And so I'm like, oh, I need the $250 polished beechwood high chair. But that is just a way also of turning having kids into another avenue for conspicuous consumption. And then there is the way that it brands you as as one kind of person just to have children, which is sort of goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, like, what kind of person am I going to be? And it's become such a culture war question. Like, if you choose to have children, are you branding yourself as 
like tread in some way are you are you conservative if you have a baby wild yeah having a baby is that a conservative choice (laughs) and I think some of that is just about the fact that so many of the loudest voices who have the like clearest easiest shorthand way of talking about parenthood are conservatives because it is like the simplest branding shortcut like you come across like a Christian mom influencer or, you know, on TikTok or Instagram reels. And you like know exactly what you're getting just from a couple aesthetic markers. You see like one word and you're like, oh, okay. I know. I know what I'm dealing with here. Yeah. Yeah. I've been getting served really weird TikToks and reels lately because I think that I'm too interested in both dresses and motherhood content (laughs) and the combination of those is like trad wife shit (laughs) so i literally saw one a few weeks ago that is seared into my brain by an account called like cradle catholic mama or something oh my god that makes just the see again just the name i know exactly (laughs) what i'm gonna get it makes me want to die the name i was like oh this all adds up (laughs) But, you know, you just, like, start watching it in the brainless way that you do when you swipe – when you're swiping through videos. Of course. And it's this woman looking very peaceful in a pretty dress, folding baby clothes. And the text that comes up is basically explaining that she used to wear only athleisure as her mom uniform. But ever since she switched to wearing beautiful dresses, she's really <laughs> – felt more connected to her soft womanly heart and her <laughs> her tender motherhood heart and her domestic roles she is fulfilled with more joy and her mothering she does with with more gentleness because she feels so much more connected to her soft womanly heart and i was like wait a second <laughs> This started out looking like something just like normal motherhood content. And suddenly I'm basically reading a tract about how women should wear dresses because it will help them act more feminine, which means subservient. (laughs) And like, how did I wander into this? But it's fucking everywhere. Well, and I think that is part of what makes me like viscerally terrified about becoming a mom which i recognize is ridiculous because i have a lot of friends of mine who are mothers and are very progressive have a lot of interests outside of being parents like like all you know and yet i just i'm like i don't want to be a mother (laughs) you know like that like (laughs) like there's something about mother that you can be like subsumed into so easily by the culture like not 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 like on a personal level, but like you will just only be the fact that that you could only be seen and defined by that, and that there's all of almost like this this advertising out there trying to scam. It feels like trying to scam women as a whole into making this big life choice because it's what you're meant to do. And I just like blanch at that on yeah. principle, and so there's a part of me that's just like fuck you. I yeah. would be scammed by this bullshit. Like, don't tell me I'll be happier in the home. Like, don't tell me I don't think you'll be happier feminine. in the home. I absolutely would not. I <laughs> want to die. Like, you know, it's just all and and it's like again, you can obviously be a parent and not subscribe yeah. to this bullshit. But like, yeah, the conservative movement has done such a good job yeah. of branding parenting as a conservative exercise. Which is brilliant because most people will become parents, even though it's becoming more and more of a popular choice not to have children. And a lot of people in our generation are also delaying it longer. It's still like the most common choice. And so if you can make that a Republican thing to do, that's going to be really good for your party. Because then you can start saying, oh, well, the left doesn't respect the work that you do. And like, look at this one leftist who said this one disparaging thing about, you know, having children in the midst of climate change or whatever. They don't respect you. They don't support you. We're the ones who support you. And of course, like conservative policies in general are not great for parents. <laughs> I got to say. <laughs> Again, another another level of the scam is like we will brand yeah. this as a conservative choice. 
but policy wise, we will not. Yeah. But once you have the baby, we'll be like, well, you had the baby. It's your job to figure it out. And that means you should probably quit your job, mama, and stay home and scrimp and save so that your husband can support the family with his job in a dying industry, which they're all dying because of runaway capitalism. And you're like, wait, I <laughs> I thought that you like loved me and wanted to support me. And in fact, you just wanted me to have babies and then do all the work myself. Yeah, it's really it's really grim. It's really but it good, is really good scam. I can see the the way the insidious way that it works because I get pulled into this content for a reason, which is that like, yeah, I do want to feel like being a mom is something that is valued and that is respected. And also, I think that I want to feel like it won't prevent me from having beauty in my life. And I think there has been this sort of like, honest mom trend in the last decade or so through the rise of mommy blogging and social media there's been a lot of mommy influencers who are like here i am in my leggings and my giant t-shirt and my messy bun and like another day of being puked on and you know what that is real that is very real i've been there (laughs) i think every mom has been there but there is part of you that wants to be like well why can't i be a mom and still express my interest in fashion by wearing a beautiful dress like why can't i be a mom and still find a peaceful way to go about my day and not feel so harried all the time like it it does feel aspirational and then suddenly realize you're aspiring to this like creepy retrogressive (laughs) myth about how women are uniquely suited to child care and in fact maybe only suited to child care and it's their duty to complete all of the tasks of child care and home care happily and without complaint (laughs) and you're like oh no (laughs) this is not what I wanted to sign up for (laughs) because at the core like any sort of content that's being produced especially when it's visual right like the beginning of mom influencing highly recommend reading Lisa Belkin's piece about Heather Armstrong deuce in in the New York Times it's really really fantastic look back on her kind of pioneering in this industry. But the original mom bloggers, as they were called, which in itself is sort of like, hmm, interesting (laughs) that this raw, confessional, sharp writing was just subsumed into like, oh, this is just a bunch of mommies over there doing mommy things. But obviously, parenting was a big part of what, what these early bloggers wrote about. And it was this like, complicated space where you couldn't distill what they were talking about down to just like a couple photos that are either like, here's me with my messy bun and puke, or here's me and my five blonde children all wearing the same, you know, outfit. Like, it was complicated. It was writing. It was like, really deep and honest storytelling about this major life experience. And it had great things and, and bad things that came a part of it. And also they were writing about a lot of things in their life that that were not about parenthood explicitly, you know, about yeah. addiction, about entering your 40s, about like all of these, all of these other topics. And I think like as we've streamlined it to these bite-size photos and and even videos, it's like it forces us to define our content as like one thing. Yeah, that's where it really makes the leap from storytelling to pure branding. Like, not right. that there can't be a personal brand wrapped up in your writing. No, but... and there and there always is. Like, there's yeah. a reason that it flowed kind of easily from one into the other. Yeah, and there is always there are always choices about how you're presenting your life and your parenting. And also, but, it's not to – I don't think we're shitting on anyone who chooses to, like, document your life. Like, I, I yeah. do, too. Like, we're all engaging in this. It's yeah. not, you know. But I think yeah. – I, I mean, it's complicated because mommy influencing is a really lucrative field. A lot of women mm-hmm. have difficulty supporting themselves given the completely inadequate system of childcare that we have in our country, which is, like, completely privatized <laughs> and expensive and patchy. 
And given how the burden typically falls on moms, and so many women have left the workforce just in the last few years because there was no other way to care for their children and hold down a job. And so you have this job that's flexible, that actually allows you to make use of your primary new focus of time and expertise, which is your children. And of course, a lot of women are jumping into that. At the same time, the thought of like your child basically being your employee makes me really queasy. And there have always been these ethical issues around content around your kids. Like, can they consent to being written about? Can they consent to being photographed in a meaningful way? Should they be compensated with pay, like for appearing in your content? But I think that there is something about making that leap to like Instagram that makes me especially queasy because it does just become about like selling your child's face in a way that feels extremely exploitative and that's why i don't put max on social on public facing social and i really prefer to write about parenthood in a way that is mostly just about my experience and that does not focus a lot on him as a person because i don't think it's my place to like define who he is as a person to the world yeah. before he has really had a chance to figure that out. But then you see, like, if you're a mommy influencer, you start getting into these spaces where you find yourself posting something that's like, no one likes my photos of this child as much as the others. And it makes me so sad because he's such a good boy. Oh, and you're like, wait, why are you, why are you like I posting that about photo. that? Oh my God, that one stuck in my head. It's clearly I for mean, it's years. Been years. Yeah. yeah. You are like offering your child up to be monetized in this way that I don't think is fair to them or healthy. But that is the problem that a lot of women face is that like, your work is supposed to be at home around caring for these little humans. And then are there really any ethical ways left to turn that work into something that you can like pay for your child's dinners with? And like, not really. So how can society, how can society organize itself better so that women can both be parents and also have like lifelong work to do that allows them to support themselves? Because I don't think that mommy influencing is is the best one. But uh, yeah, it's very thorny. It's so thorny to have your life become like so bound up in someone that you 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 are like sort of ethically bound to protect and to protect their privacy. Yeah, it's really complicated. Yeah, it's really complicated. Maybe I should just become a mommy influencer. I'm gonna do the Joe Piazza thing and be like, surprise, I'm a mommy influencer now. That didn't last that long. No, it (laughs) it sounded really stressful, actually. Yeah. Although I do, I keep telling you, I think you should become a maternity influencer. I'm like, that's just about you. Well, that's why you have why to not? keep being pregnant, right? Because <laughs> you're only pregnant for a small amount of time. It yeah, feels endless, but it's get not Get all endless. the money you can from that experience. I mean, yeah, and it is complicated because you're like, on the one hand, I also appreciate the work of s- certain influencers. Like, I find it genuinely helpful to get product recommendations or, you know, and yeah. obviously we – we in our newsletters include like things that we are are buying and enjoying. So it's like, when does that content cross the line from being helpful to insidious? And I, it's not clear, probably, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's um, the fundamental question of advertising, right? Like, is it like, oh, thank you for helpfully letting me know about this product that fulfills this need that I have? Or this like, desire that I <laughs> Right, have, or are know? you creating yeah. a desire in me that right. I really did not need to have and now I'm spending money that I did not need to spend. The problem that is, is we just, just live we live in a society, a capitalist <laughs> society. And and also like everyone, yeah, doing this work also needs money to survive. Like it's yeah. like Yeah. And it's like look at our industry. I mean, there's no journalism jobs. Exactly. <laughs> And if you Uh, want people in this society to spend their time having and raising children, and you're not going to make it easy for them to have childcare during the workday, then they're going to have to find ways to make money out of what they're doing with their time, which is taking care of children. And like, you know, that's what it is. It just goes dark places. It just does. Like you're asking so many things in this culture while 
caring for their their child full time. Yeah. It's just it's just uh it's just a broken culture. It really that's how we always end up <laughs> how ending we these end. episodes. Yeah, <laughs> and we still have so much to talk about. We tried to sneak in a quick taping today, but I know that we many... got a ton of really, really yeah. interesting and thought provoking questions and comments from people when when we solicited that on Instagram a few weeks ago. And we promise we are paying attention to those and we are going to try to do more episodes. We also definitely want to recognize that like this content is really hard for a lot of people. So we don't want to do too many of these episodes. We want to be clear this is not going to become just a motherhood and fertility <laughs> space, you no. know, because that content's very triggering for a lot of people. But these are this is the phase of life that both of us are in and we want to talk about it. And we hope that maybe this conversation made you feel seen or was just interesting. And yeah, yeah. let us know what you think and what you want more or or less of. And also I just want to recommend again Haley Nauman's latest essay on her newsletter, Maybe Baby number 147 who's allowed to want kids because it really struck a chord yeah. with me and, and and gets deeply into this idea of like the brand of being a mom or the brand of choosing not to be a mom and what that means specifically in our like cosmopolitan urban setting yeah i related to a lot of it as well it's a really good essay and we we were definitely also leaning more into like our personal experiences this time. And I hope next time we can get into some of the amazing questions that we got and topics that people wanted us to talk about. I also have a uh, couple books that I really want to read yeah. about, like there's been a few books about women not having kids that have come out recently that I really am curious. And so I would like to you know, interview those authors maybe at some point. There's a lot we want to do. Yeah. I am, I'm excited about you know, us yeah. being able to get back into this topic because it's been a while. Also, please don't judge me because I sound like a superficial person when talking about the emotional journey of this pregnancy. <laughs> I know you that I not. am like, I know that I'm being ridiculous about a lot of stuff. It's just been like a surprisingly, it's just very weird to suddenly find yourself like first really excited and happy about a very planned pregnancy and then suddenly be like and now I'm really depressed and to have to like sort through all of the reasons sometimes those reasons do not make you feel great about yourself sometimes you're like I I can't believe that I felt some sort of illusion of control over this and that I thought that that was like the right way to approach having a child which is like all about giving up control but Sometimes it helps to like actually talk through those yeah really makes, silly sounding. I don't know. Feelings. It makes me it makes me sad that you're worried about that, and I get it because like, not that our audience specifically is super harsh, but people are harsh, and putting your narrative and your feelings out for public consumption is a really scary thing. And people very often, without even realizing it, are are quite unkind. And I hope that I hope there's generosity of spirit yeah. from our listeners because I think that we recognize the ways in which we have thoughts that don't always perfectly align with the values that we want to live yeah. and like the ways in which the society we live in has affected the way we think about things and I think it's also really unhealthy to never be able to address and yeah. grapple with those things no, and absolutely. those uncomfortable dynamics and like none of us are perfect progressives who yeah. live our lives in perfectly <laughs> progressive ways exactly. or perfect parents or perfect non-parents and so and I yeah. think sometimes there's a sense that if you ever have any of these thoughts it means that you will be a bad parent and I worry about that a lot that like I'm not cut out to be a parent because I have certain thoughts or expectations about what it will be to be a parent and your kids are just going to be who they are and your job is to just show up for them but I think it's human to have those expectations and it's really important to unpack them and, and then, not and then let, let them, them sort of like – Exactly. So that you can work through them. Like you want to work through this stuff as quickly as possible and I think it can really help to know that you're not alone in those feelings and, and that there is a path through them, which I have definitely come a long way since I started like talking with my therapist about a lot of this stuff and with Greg and with you and with friends and – it is really 
important, I think, to sometimes voice these things and work through them. Absolutely. We are all just trying to survive and <laughs> do right by ourselves and the people that we love. And exactly. it's hard and it's lifelong work. Exactly. So thank you everyone for listening. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Rich Text. Rich Text is hosted, produced, and edited by us, Claire Fallon and Emma Gray. You can find the written version of Rich Text at clarendemma.substack.com. You can find us on Instagram at clarendemmapod, and you can find our other podcasts, love to see it, over at Stitcher and wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on TikTok and Twitter at love to see it pod. You can also find us individually on social media at Claire E. Fallon and at Emma Lady Rose. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. 